Hello, Unpolished NBA podcast listeners. I'm your host, Monique Mills, and we're back. This is episode 81, and we're now in season six. I'm not sure if you all missed, you know, us putting out new episodes um, because there's so many things fighting for your attention these days. And since we've been on hiatus um, the past few weeks, Probably another 10,000 new podcasts have launched. So um, there's probably the same amount that also have fallen off the radar. As you guys know, people are just not consistent with maintaining podcasts. So they get bored with it and they move on and they'll say it's not working or whatever that is. And my question is, what's working? I enjoy sharing information with you guys, sharing smart and interesting people with you. And some of you that are listeners have been guests. And yes, you are some of those smart and interesting people that I enjoy talking to and sharing with everyone else. Um, So many of you are understated and a lot of people just don't know you are so brilliant. And this podcast was really created to highlight everyone and to share ideas and to let people know that You can do well in business without an MBA. Although I have one, I don't think it was necessary in order for me to be smart in business. It just really illuminated the way for me because I had no mentors. I had no podcasts like this, right? I had no one um, that could kind of mentor and sponsor me through this journey. And so um, I did it the hard way, as some people may say. I did it the expensive way. Um, but so with, with my podcast, Unpolished MBA, I love it. I love sharing with you all. And I have different goals for this podcast. And it's all geared toward you. To you all who listen consistently, I really appreciate you giving me your attention. And so expect me to be here throughout season six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and on and on and on. So with that being said, let me tell you a little bit about what's been going on while we were on hiatus and it revolves around fig how many of you guys remember me introducing fig to you which is fig um last no it was the season before last how many of you all remember that so fig is actually the acronym for focused innovation group and it is a fund that i created in order to acquire a small to medium-sized business. You all have been with me on this journey from the beginning when I launched that, and I think I mentioned it in episode 048, okay? And that episode is called Figuring It Out with Monique Mills. And I know that's kind of cheesy because FIG is the first part of um, figuring it out. And um, I was just sharing like what what I'm learning and doing throughout this journey because that this is something that's new for me. And as I learn and I do things, um, I know lots of people ask me questions like, how do you do this? How did you do that? And I, I share with you all. Um, I only share what I know for sure. OK, and I share my experience um, and whatever it is that can be helpful to to you. So with that. I did a webinar series, um, probably now, right now we're in June. So it was 
in May and end of April. So it went on for a couple weeks and I brought in some of the fantastic people that I have met on this journey um, as I'm pursuing an acquisition. And myself and my guests, we answered questions that have come into my DMs, into my emails, and some of you all who have reached out to me. And we spent a lot of time, you know, just sharing the details of if you want to acquire a business instead of starting one from scratch, it's totally something that you can do. But these are some of the things to consider. These are some of the things you'll need to do. And these are some resources. And with that, I created a document at the end of the series that I shared with everyone who wanted it. It's free of charge. Just have the link, log in, you can look at it, you can download it. And I'm also going to share a link to the document in the show notes. And that document also links you to each of the people who were involved. Now I'm going to move into this episode where I had a wonderful guest who is an intermediary. That's a term that we use in the acquisition world where it's basically a person that's a business broker, but a lot of folks don't like to be called a business broker. But I would just tell you those names are thrown around synonymously for the most part because this individual who has that title or has that role in the acquisition world, their job is to bring together sellers of businesses and buyers of businesses in order to make a mutually beneficial transaction occur. And with that, I'll go into the interview and I'm sure you'll learn a lot. So this is actually a good time for us to speak because I'm in the midst of sharing information about buying a business with just my network because I got involved in um, the searcher community last year. So I'm a searcher for a small business. And so folks are asking me about it. And I'm just like, you know what, let me introduce you to the experts in the field. And um, those folks in my network who have been helpful to me. And so I just been having these series of folks come in and do LinkedIn audio events, or I guess you could say a Zoom event too, but um, just kind of doing both. And folks hop in and we kind of just talk through the process and things to think about and all that. And folks are mind blown that they could purchase a business uh, with the SBA loan, you know, or with investors and it's already revenue generated generating and profitable. And they're just like, what? Um, so meeting you and having you on at this time is perfect timing. There's no coincidence to that. And with that, I want to introduce you to the Unpolished MBA audience. So Christine, go ahead, introduce yourself and what you do and where you are and the company you currently run. Yes, of course, Monique. Thanks for having me. Gosh, you have just such a soothing voice. This is perfect for being a podcast host. So um, <laughs> that's you. really great. You're so welcome. So I am, I'm usually located in San Diego. I am currently in the beautiful city of Dubai on the other side of the world. Um, living here for the month of April to kind of test it out. It's it's my favorite city in the world. It still is. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here now and loving it. Love the energy and the business and entrepreneurs vibe over here. So I own the Magnolia firm, which is an M&A business brokerage firm. So we help people sell their companies. We're on the sell side mainly, and we find the buyer and we do the entire transaction A to Z. Love doing it. I've been a serial entrepreneur for 20 years, owned a bunch of companies myself, exited them, did most of the transactions myself. And that's how I got into it. 
What kind of companies did you run before? So I first went out the gate. I was in my early 20s. I did a house cleaning company, you know, and I love the, the title of your podcast. You know, I, I skipped on college. I, you know, told my dad when I was 16 years old, I said, save your money. I'm going to be successful without going to college. I was very confident when I said that and met every word. And so mm-hmm. I, I did things the hard way. I didn't, you know, I, I graduated when I was 17 years old, went and got my real estate license. And yeah, I was in property management already when I was still in high school. So if you're making like, you have a $40,000 a year, you know, mind you, this is 20 years ago, you know, you're making $40,000 a year already. Why would you go spend, you know, 30 or 40, you know, a year on college? I just didn't see, didn't see the, the meaning behind doing that. And then mm-hmm. um, started a cleaning company. That was my first business you know, 23 years old, $300, a ton of debt already established. So I didn't have much money to start a business. And I cleaned, I cleaned every day for a year and a half and I bartended at night to pay my bills. Um, So I've had a cleaning company. I've had a luxury car rental business, a Christmas tree business, um, social media firm, a software SaaS company. I know media, I'm missing a bunch, but uh, the, yeah, the, the spa Exit was the largest to date. So two wellness spas in San Diego, two locations, Eco Chateau, San Diego, started 2012, exit 2017. Um, yeah, so it's just, I ran the gamut. So that's why I love helping people sell their companies because I'm just, I'm just industry agnostic. Like I know I've done so many different types of businesses. Um, mm-hmm. They're usually always service-based. They're usually B2C. That's like my preference. I actually prefer B2B. So I'd love to know why you prefer B2C. Yeah. And I went B2B two different times. <laughs> why did I do this two different times <laughs> when I knew the first time I didn't like it? So B2C, you're dealing strict direct to consumer that it's a very emotional purchase. Mm-hmm. A business purchase is very logical. So it's very financially based and logically based and a consumer, you know, and I love marketing and I love human psychology. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very emotional purchase with a consumer, direct to consumer. That's mainly why. And just like, you know, making happy, you know, customers happy and getting the testimonials and the reviews. And um, it's a quicker sales cycle for sure, without a doubt versus B2B. So yeah, I mean, there, I can't think of, in my opinion, which should be, I'm sure you have a different opinion and, you, and you're in that world, but uh, I, I don't see any advantages on B2B, but that's just my style. No, no. I, I see everything you just said. I think it ultimately comes down to personality types as well. And I think I'm an engineer and so I'm a little bit more introverted. Um, and I don't necessarily prefer to engage with all the emotions of other people all the time. Right. So my whole career has been B2B and I kind of like that lane. I like to, I love, you know, customers and all that, but having to experience that an entire workday, five to seven days a week, or, you know, whatever it is that you're working is exhausting for those that are uh, introverted or, you know, that's just kind of like how their energy is more so removed than replenished. Does it make sense? It's hard to to explain it. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. But yeah, everything that you're saying is so true. A lot of my clients are B2C as well. And I, it's so much fun. I would just say it's so much more fun than B2B. Um, so I want to take it back to, to your journey, though, when you were talking about when you first got out of high school and you went and got your real estate license. I said that was super smart. It's so important to understand real estate and how it's, it's really the foundation of 
this country in a lot of ways. Um, and so just trying to understanding transactions, because then that lends itself into understanding commercial real estate, revenue generating real estate, and also business brokerage, buying and selling businesses. That's all under that real estate umbrella. So um, it's funny, I started taking the um, coursework um, when I was 17, because I knew I just want to get my real estate license. Um, and so, but you can't take the actual test in California until you're 18. So right yeah. when I turned 18, mm -hmm. went and took it, didn't pass the first time, unfortunately, but then passed the second time pretty quickly after that. And mm -hmm. so it is a great baseline. What's so fine. I used it a tiny bit for like, um, doing, you know, resale homes, but I, I wanted to do it for new homes. So doing like the big track developments, new home developments, mm -hmm. you know, people touring the model and all that, but it was not fun at all. I don't know why <laughs> you're just sitting in the model and people are touring and you're pre-selling the, the houses out of the housing track in California. I didn't do that very long, but long story was short, boring, I, I bet. <laughs> it was super boring for me. So, but yeah. so I, I was like, and then I went into entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. I, I still held, thank God I kept that license active all these years. Mm -hmm. So I've had mine yeah. for 22 years, but yeah, maybe more than 22 years. I've had this license and mm -hmm. put it in a file, but I kept it active. So I kept doing the, you know, mm -hmm. renewal coursework all these years, you know, even though I wasn't using the license and then to be a business broker in California, I had no idea that all you need is your real estate license. That's right. Which makes, That's all you need. Yeah. So funny to me because it's not business related, but um, in our state and every state's different, but yeah. So, so full circle, I'm glad I have that thing. Yeah surprisingly to most folks in, in real estate, they don't realize that connection. That's all that's needed. Um, I'm in Georgia and it's the same way here. So all you need is your real estate license and you can be involved in business brokerage. So also because I am licensed, when I'm looking at businesses to buy here, I actually receive a commission. The same thing that happens with um, buying and selling homes. Um, when I'm buying and selling any homes that I'm um, the buyer of, I receive a commission just because I have a real estate license. And that's just another benefit of it. So we're telling folks, you know, just different, different hints and clues that they probably wouldn't know about just having that. It's so, it's, it's so important. Buy or sell, where do you mostly spend most of your time in your firm now? On the sell side, strictly on the sell side. So, okay, so you don't help buy or yeah, we're going to launch a division of our firm um, for the buy side because we do get asked all the time. I mean, for me personally, it's just I have to shift gears so dramatically. So in my mm -hmm. head, I'm like, I need to find a buyer for this business. I need to find a buyer for this business. Like that's the track my head is on. I'm not mm -hmm. on like, oh, I need to find a business for this buyer to buy. I need to find this business. It's like to, and you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, you, even in real estate, you always want to work with the sellers. It's easier. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, so we're on that side and, you know, we're busy on that side. But, mm -hmm. but what's really cool is we get to help um, the buyer. We get to hold the hand of the buyer. So a lot of times we have a business for sale. Buyer comes along unrepresented. Typically, almost all of them are not represented at all, which is fine. But so then I get to like help them along the process, which I'm really passionate about because the seller's paying the entire commission, right? The buyer doesn't have to pay us anything. So yeah, just like holding their hand. Of course, they've got a lawyer, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, make sure you have a lawyer and they have a lawyer on their side. But yeah, other than that, we get to kind of kind of help both sides of transactions. And I do love doing that. On the buyer side, I'm wondering, have you ran into a situation where they relied upon you or wanted to rely upon you too much? 
right? Because you're representing your seller. No, never. Um, we're, you know, I think, and what's magical about what we do too, is we're, we're really big on finding a perfect buyer for our seller. And I can proudly say, I mean, you can reach out to any of our sellers. They love the people that bought their business. I think that that's super important, right? Cause that's your baby you're handing over to the, to the new person. So no, I mean, it's gone really smoothly. And, and a lot of times they've become friends and, and, you know, I know not a lot of people would do this during a transaction, but we've done it twice. We've allowed for it is where that buyer will fly out, you know, to the location of the seller, you know, to check things out, meet in person, they go to dinner together. I mean, before the transactions even inked and closed, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of times, you know, maybe you wouldn't have them get that close before you're closer to the close of the transaction. But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's worked out really great. We just finished a transaction and they're like best, best friends now. Yeah, A lot of times, you know, the agent, you know, the seller broker is afraid of that. Like they, they try to keep that distance between the buyer and the seller for whatever reason. But I I love your approach uh, much better. I'm going to have to connect with you on my search. Um, And with that in mind, since starting this firm, what has been the bulk of your work thus far? far You're in California, so I'm guessing tech. Uh Exactly. <laughs> so um, we don't do brick and mortar businesses anymore. They're they're a lot more complicated. The multiples aren't as high, obviously. So I was doing that in the beginning of the firm. You know, we started, I started Magnolia Firm a year and a half ago. So pretty recently. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and again, I knew the spa industry and I knew brick and mortar and I knew service. So I was playing around with that or doing transactions for, for girlfriends of mine and as favors, you know, to, to get them sold, but strictly across the board right now, we're digital only and we're international. So we can sell a digital agency. Cause of course they're remote based, you know, mm-hmm. anywhere in the world, we have clients mm-hmm. in Romania even that are selling. Um, so digital agencies, uh, social media agencies, PR firms online, SaaS, uh, cybersecurity. So again, anything that's online remote base, that's what we do. Okay. So how many, with that in mind, how, how many of, let's say your buyers, you say would be traditional self-funded searchers that are like doing SBA loan? Um, Ooh, great question. Great question. So that big, the big one we just closed a couple of weeks ago was an SBA loan. So it was a company, you know, it was a software integration company based out of the States. And then the, the buyer was also in the U S and he went and got an SBA loan. And this is, you know, keep in mind the, the SVB banking implosion that just happened last month. Yeah, the Literally, Silicon Valley bank thing was mind blowing. It happened so fast, this thing. It did, it did. But a lot of people also saw it coming. So it, it, I mean, if the government didn't bail the banks out that weekend, it would have caused mass like destruction mm-hmm. across all sectors. Um, you know, we knew, I knew people that had all their money in there. Imagine being a startup, you can't make payroll Friday. You know, they couldn't make payroll Friday. They couldn't sleep the entire weekend. You know, their money, they could have millions gone, just disappeared out of thin air. All your money's gone. You know, imagine mm-hmm. that out of your business overnight. Um, so again, mm-hmm. luckily government bailed them out on a Sunday, thank God. <laughs> um, our transaction was two weeks out from closing, SBA mm-hmm. loan, small regional bank out of Washington and didn't skip a beat. You know, I know their media likes to scare people and it was, you know, it was definitely a scary issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, our it didn't make a bump in the road of our closing on an SBA loan for our seller. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, I'll be honest, still have strong equity in their homes. So some of our buyers, you know, they could pull, you know, for a smaller purchase, just of like half a million dollars. So business for 500K, 
you know, I had the, the buyers pulled out a home equity line of their home in Seattle that had like doubled in appreciation over six years. Um, so that was great. Borrowed off their house. Some people you could borrow off a 401k. It's called a Robs. And most yeah. people don't know that. And there's no, no, you know, penalties at all to do that. So you're essentially your own bank. But the SBAs, I mean, they're no matter what, they're three months out typically. I mean, each time we do one, I, I'm like a hopeful, you know, ours got a little tripped up because the seller had an EIDL loan. One of the COVID relief loans. He had a half million dollar one <laughs> that he didn't want to give up. So, um, because it's such, you know, it's pretty much free money. It's such an incredible loan for 30 years. Um, but the SBA, of course, needed it paid off out of the proceeds of that sale. So that that held it up. I think it would have went a little quicker if if that didn't happen. Um, so SBA does take a while. So so everybody listening. You know, obviously, if you're a cash buyer, obviously, if you have access to capital quicker, it's going to be, you might get a better deal or you might, you know, in the buyer's eye or the seller's eyes, you know, you're more appealing, like great, fast close, you know, 30 day close, cash buyer, you know, we don't need to wait three to four months for the SBA to close. SBA has no problem lending money for a strong cash flowing, growing business. Um, the big thing is that buyers got to have industry uh, is, uh, industry experience, right? Mm -hmm. If they've never like done tech whatsoever, you know, probably not going to get approved. So as long as the business has strong financials and great tax returns, meaning they show their profit on their tax returns and some businesses don't, you know, that they zero it out at the bottom, you know, and then that's not going to qualify. So if they have a strong profitable, you know, tax return, that's the, the SBA loves that. And then, you know, buyer bar has, you know, the industry, good credit, you know, some, if they can collateralize it even better with a house or something, but you don't have to. So, so no tech, I mean, they, they totally can fund technology. They can't do it. So our listings that are in other countries, unfortunately cannot, they are not SBA qualified. Right. Would you consider yourself an uh, intermediary or um, a, a broker? No, I don't like, I'm glad you brought that up. I don't like the name for it. Most people know I'm business intermediary or an M&A advisor. I don't, I do not like the word business broker, even though that's what every, essentially that's what I do too, but um, it just has such a negative connotation. The first thing you think of is like, you know, a 60 or 70 year old white man, you know, doing a transaction and faxing and they still fax stuff. I swear to God, they're still <laughs> yeah. using fax machines. I swear to God. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. So, uh, so yeah, I love intermediary because it's more of a mediator, right? Again, it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, you're helping both parties and I love win-wins and I, you know, I know not everybody believes in a win-win, but I do. And I feel like you can get there with every transaction. Yeah. So since you started the firm about a year and a half ago, how did you ramp up from <laughs> idea to now? I don't even know if ramp up, I know there's going to be another word. It's like a rocket ship that skyrocketed. <laughs> I had like a waiting list from day one. Um, which is, you know, very grateful for, I had way too many deals running, you know, my friend, a close friend of mine is an attorney and she said, she'll, she only wants to, to run five cases at a time because she can count them on one hand. And like, mm -hmm. I've taken that to heart because last summer I had six and she had told me that. And I'm like, Kayla, oh my God, I'm going to like, you're exactly right. Once I hit six, it was a lot, um, in my head. Right. Because I have to keep everything straight and I'm, you know, pitching all these different companies and we, I sell them very quickly. So that's why I'm more boutique. We're more boutique. Now I brought a business partner on after that all happened in the fall. I was like, I need help. We had a huge waiting list. I was booked out like four or five months. 
Um, it didn't matter how fast I was selling the businesses. And so, yeah, Caleb came on, he's incredible. So now we, and we added more team members. We have capacity for probably up to 15 total right now, mm -hmm. um, 10 or 15, depending on the sizes of the transactions in the stage. Um, so yeah, it was a skyrocketing ramp up, um, which again, I'm super grateful for, um, yeah, lucky in that great. sense. When the seller is ready, how do they know they're ready? Like what is, what position is a seller in when they pick up the phone and decide to call you? Well, our demographic is, is younger, to be honest, anywhere from 23 to 47 is like our oldest seller so far that we've worked with. Average age, mid thirties is who we're working with. So this is first exit for them. Maybe they've had the business like six years, profitable, strong. These are the, you know, these are the young entrepreneurs that are like the zero to million or zero to 5 million. And then they, they don't want to do it any, they, they're ready for the next adventure and the new idea they have and the excitement and chaos of a startup. They want to do it again. And they want to exit and take some chips off the table. Um, so yeah, that's mainly who we work with. So they're ready. I mean, they, you know, again, these are millennials and Gen Z and, and they come to us and they're like, Christine, I'm ready to sell yesterday. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. I love it. That's how I operate. Like I'm pretty quick to start a company and I'm pretty quick to, to, to sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I totally get it. And I'm that same personality type where I'm like, okay, I took it where I know I could take it the skill set that needs to take it to the, you know, the million to 10 million or 10 million to hundred million. It's just not me. Like that's not exciting mm -hmm. for me. I like starting things. Um, so that's, that's when they come to us, right? They're, they're just ready. You're the first really out of all of the business folks I've talked to and worked with to actually have that demographic. So that's a blessing because these people are going to do it again and again and again, probably three more times. <laughs> No, you're um, right. You're right. Thing. They've already said that. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to use us again. So they're like, oh my gosh, Christine, we're going to yeah. use you again on the next and the next. And, and that's, what's going to end up happening. And I do have colleagues in the space that are like, wow, Christine, like our, my, my, the people coming to me are not ready to sell for one, two, three more years. And I knew the answer immediately. I'm like, cause you're dealing with baby boomers. <laughs> I already know <laughs> you're dealing with the 50, 60 year olds that, that want to plan that far out or have, mm -hmm. you know, maybe their kids sell it or pass it on to their kids or whatnot, but they, you know, this Gen Z would never plan that far out. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and you know, that's what I love about uh, startup life. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to spend some time with you and share you with the Unpolished MBA audience. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, of course. Thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, I want you to tell folks before we hop off the best way to get in touch with you or follow you. Um, LinkedIn, without a doubt, super active on there. Great at responding to messages. You guys can send you know any questions or comments to me on LinkedIn and connect with me there, please. And then the Magnolia Firm, of course, we're on YouTube at the, you know, the Magnolia Firm, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. We're really good about that too. Kind of giving tips, tricks, strategies, exit plan, you know, some exit planning stuff. I'm going to start doing more content on just business success in general, because I have 20 years of entrepreneurship. So again, just giving, you know, because maybe a business isn't ready to exit yet, but, you know, helping them get to that point. So everyone reach out to Christine and learn all you can. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're able to make a connection for one of you all. Thanks so much, Christine. Have a great one. Thank Thanks, you too. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.